Welcome to Well Played Podcast, the show on all things playful and joyous in education. I'm your host, Michael Matera, sixth grade teacher, author, and speaker. Well Played is part of the On Podcast Media Network. And this, this, my friends, is season four, episode 21. And we have our guest, John Spike, with us. And we're chatting about sort of expanding the game closet a little bit with two-player <laughs> games here, John. But uh, if you could give a brief introduction of yourself. John's been on the show a bunch. I absolutely love having John Spike with us. But give give yourself a bit of a bio here. Sure. Uh, hey, everybody. My name is John Spike. Uh, I am a former high school English teacher, a K-12 tech coordinator, and currently serve as the coordinator of instructional technology integration services at University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. So working with pre-service teachers uh, and getting them ready to teach in the classroom. Absolutely love it. Uh, John has come up with all sorts of creative ways to use games in the classroom. Uh, He's a big gamer himself. And I just thought, let's have this episode. And actually, as we were sort of shooting the breeze in in the sort of pre-show chat, John has committed himself to being (laughs) on next week's episode as well. As we're going to talk about... (laughs) connecting sort of some of the things we take from games and maybe apply them into our class. So we're going to have some game examples and how to use them in your class next week. But this one really is more at your family. We're thinking here you're in we're in a, a time in which there's not a whole lot to uh, to do with others. We're sort of in the house with our families and we we debated whether we should talk about party games and big board games, you know, strategic games, gateway games. And then we landed on two-player games because we think, you know, not everybody in the house, you might not be able to get everyone to sit down and play. Uh, we have other episodes and outlets for you to sort of look at for, you know, like three-player games, four-player games, five-player games, whatever. But let's let's this episode really focus in on great two-player games so john what is what is one that you think people should sort of pick up today yeah i think when people ask me like what's the best two-player game you've ever played i think my go-to is always this first one i'll talk about which is seven wonders duel and some of you might be familiar with the core game seven wonders and this seven wonders duel is really fantastic because it it, it you have so few choices on your turn but they all matter and so you really have to like stew over what decision you make and what route you're gonna go uh, and why I love it is because there's multiple win conditions you kind of gotta balance so you can win through military victory which is kind of a tug of war you can win through um, I believe kind of like having the greatest kind of city getting the most points for your buildings and in you know the the commerce that you build um, or you can win scientifically by um, achieving so many scientific achievements. So each turn you can decide what kind of piece you're going to try to buy uh, and decide what route you're going to go. And you're, you kind of have to respond to what your opponent's doing and kind of play a little keep away of resources and, and, and things like that. It's just really cleverly designed. It's played in three phases and you, you just have to constantly weigh all these variables, which I think a good game does. It makes you struggle over, ooh, if I drop this ball I'm juggling, it's going to affect me here, right? Um, so the game very simply is, what resource am I going to buy or build or um, you know, take so my opponent can't use it, and how do they respond? And it's kind of that back-and-forth decision uh, that makes it really neat. Uh, so Seven Wonders Duel is one of my 
personal favorite two-player games. My wife, who doesn't always like gravitate towards the strategy games, uh, enjoys playing this one because she appreciates just how well it's designed. I love it. I would actually say that that is my favorite two-player game. In fact, when I sort of talk to some of my gamer buddies and we're talking about like, hey, what's your favorite game? What's your favorite this? We often, when we talk about two-player games, to make the question interesting, we have to say like, well, we're going to set Seven Wonders Duel aside. Like that, <laughs> that is just clearly like the winner. It makes it an uninteresting conversation because it's so good. And uh, just like John said, I really feel like you could teach anybody this game. Uh, so in that respect, I think it's a great gateway game, but at the same time, it hints at the things that I absolutely love about games. Like there are like what feel like weighty or juicy decisions, uh, but they're not complex, right? So it's not Mm -hmm. like, it's not this unapproachable, like what I have to know, 16,000 rules, like it's totally approachable, but every decision seems to matter in some way, shape or form, either. So like you said, sort of hurting your opponent, protecting yourself from the opponent or building on your own strategy. But all of those are like, ah, I want to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Like, what do I do with this card? Or what do do I buy that one? Or this one? Do I throw this away? Do I save up money for a future? Like, Ooh, is so good, but so clean and simple. Definitely recommend picking that one up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you, like you said, what's really neat is, one thing that can kill a game is you're you're almost inundated with too many choices. And this one, it only lets you do basically one thing a turn. And there might only be three or four options for you, but they all just weigh on you because you could probably make an argument for each. And you kind of see the cascading effect of those decisions as you keep making turns. Uh, and so you're like, ooh, I should have committed more to this. Or, ah, I don't have enough money now. Why did I do that a few turns ago? So you you do see that cause and effect in a great game will reward or punish you accordingly for you know thinking about cause and effect that and i think what i think so well some of my favorite games in general is when they've really got it so balanced john spoke about multiple strategies sometimes games advertise themselves like there are 10 different ways you could possibly win but really like only two of them really (laughs) work you know, right. the, the other eight only work if the people you're playing against don't really know what they're doing or something like that. <laughs> Where, like, I really feel like this is such a balanced game. They all have a shot at working. And when they don't work out, it's not a blowout. It's like, John, yeah. if I would have gotten that one more science, I would have won on science victory. Like, I was one card away from winning that way. Ooh, that military, if it would have flipped out the other way so that the <clears> military <throat> came out on my turn instead of your turn, John, I would have had you. So you have this Mario Kart effect where it's like, I lost by like a nose, so let's load it up and play it again. I don't yep. necessarily play it again immediately, but you get the idea that it's so good. You you do sort of go the next day thinking about it, and you're like, oh yeah, I kind of want to get that to the table again quick. Yep, yep. Yeah, definitely one where you learn and you could say, I, ne- I do need to play because I need to adjust and I need to tweak what I did because I let this... I let this drop. I know my, my wife had me on the ropes, almost, you know, decimating my city military. And I thought, meanwhile, I would just keep building up my city. But because I was playing so much defense against her to get her away from, you know, the gate to my civilization, I dropped the ball in the last few rounds and it cost me. So her not even winning that way just so shifted my focus that I forgot about everything else that was getting me victory points. All right. So this one is, like we said, super juicy has some of the things like if you end up buying this and you end up liking it i would argue this is a good litmus test if you like that (laughs) the odds are you you would like other 
bigger games and yes they might mm-hmm. be bigger they might have a little more rules but it like this sort of hints at a lot of those things so check it out and let us know uh, i would love yes. to hear in the comments down below on twitter or whatever i'd love to know if you picked up seven wonders duel and how it's working out for you or if you bought it before this podcast just let us know uh, again this will be on my youtube channel post the comments season four episode 21 love to hear it all right Another one I put down on my list that I really, really like uh, is one called Watergate. Now, Watergate <laughs> is uh, a history simulation. Again, not too difficult. Like the the directions are pretty stri- simple and straightforward. One of you are playing sort of the journalists trying to uncover the Watergate scandal, and the other side is the Nixon team trying to sort of like suppress that evidence and remain the president of the United States. And so interesting how the two sides play, wildly different. They're almost two different games. Uh, But so fun to sort of, I guess the way to say it is, they each get their own deck of cards. And then there is a board in which like, Nixon sort of at the center of the board. And then there's all these like, almost like yarn lines that lead to Nixon. (laughs) And then on the outside, there are all these like, uh, informants and you need just like a journalist needs to have two corroborating bits of evidence you need to get two of those informants to trace a yarn line to Nixon and so Nixon what he has to do is stop those yarn lines from connecting <laughs> to him or make it super hard like if he blocks you here you're gonna have to go like way around this block right thus meaning I have to play more cards you know waste more actions getting that guy to connect but what I like is the two decks of cards have a total distinct feel about them. Like the journalist, you do feel like you're the good guy that's just getting his knees cut off all the time by like this corrupt society. And you're like, darn it, like I'm doing good work, but like this thing's not as powerful as that. But like the game's balanced. Like you can win as the journalist and you can win nicely, you know, but like you're going to feel sort of soul crushed along the way. (laughs) And then the Nixon, when you play Nixon, you do feel like, oh my gosh, I have so much power. Like I'm the pred, like I can drop this card and change this or like do that and like change that rule or flip this thing that you worked so hard at because I'm the president. I can do that. Um, So they have this different feel, this different vibe. And like John said about Seven Wonders Duel, there's a couple different ways you can kind of win. There's a little bit of a tug of war effect happening. Um, tons of strategic decisions, but at the same time, not that challenge. Like it's a, it's approachable. I shouldn't say not challenging, right? Like chess is challenging, but again, <laughs> a small rule set really, right? You only have so many pieces and once you know how those pieces work, like that's it. Um, but, but kind of infinite challenge. So this has that same, like tons of challenge, not a lot of rule set. I get really excited when games like marry a theme to the gameplay really well and that one it sounds like they've really landed like getting you that feeling and 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 really getting you immersed in the role and doing it in a very clever way right they've they've visualized the path to nixon but they've also given you those cards that make you role play so there's like the the metaphor of Mm -hmm. like trying to nail him for these crimes and then there's the literal these are things that he could and probably did do. And these are things that a muckraking journalist would do too. So that's like a really cool melding of two things games do really well. They're metaphorical, but they also literally 
have you try to role play some things. That's a good point. And then the history teacher in me has to mention that each of the cards are all based in true historical events. So like when you're playing them, there is this little flavor text that can teach you about the event. The book itself uh-huh. can even teach you more. So like <laughs> this is this is kind of cool that it's it's real things that happen that you're like, oh, we got like we did get this particular informant card played out which actually was the informant that did this or you know uh you know here was a press conference that nixon did really hold in which this senator like backed him up you know like pretty cool and these are things i gotta fully admit i did not necessarily know the history of that like i am a world history teacher i like i know about american history but like not to the tune of like all those little details and it was really fascinating to sort of see those details built into a game whether you want to read them or not like i didn't sit down Mm -hmm. and read every card but it is kind of (laughs) cool that it's there yeah yeah for sure i mean it's just like a movie illuminates maybe parts of history we're not familiar with a game can do that too where it illuminates just you know the the depths to which a sitting president went to suppress this information about their illicit activities yeah Hmm. no no hint at current day politics there. No, no, no. Um, we'll just have to keep an eye out to see if any games emerge from this time. I don't know. We'll Stay see. tuned, Michael. Stay tuned. <laughs> All right. So I don't want to belabor that point, but Watergate is another great game to pick up. Uh, these, this that game came out last year. Uh, it's still in print. Definitely check it out. Uh, well, that's a hard one to follow up, Michael. I'm excited uh, with the one yeah. I think you're going to follow up with. Ooh, well, I don't know. I might, I might curveball you here. Um, I, I, I'm gonna go. I think, and I don't know if you've played this one, um, Micro Brew. I was gonna follow up with, so I might be throwing a curveball at you. Here. I don't know if you're expecting that or not. But uh, so, fun fact about this game: it's called Micro Brew. Um, I do think you know it. It has this theme that might be more you might think adulty, but I, I've played it with with kids, and it's not like there's anything inappropriate. It's about the act of, of brewing beer and serving it, but it's not advocating for beer or anything. But uh, the fun fact about this game is it was developed in a um, kind of a game jam challenge to make a game that would fit inside like one of those little Altoid tins, you know, like this big. So what's cool about the game is it actually is very portable. You can have it in your pocket or in a in a purse or a bag or something in it. It's very portable. Uh, and while having said that, it has a lot of cool pieces and mechanics to it. So the idea of the game is you're trying to... Um, you're trying to brew beer that will attract customers that will, you know, buy your beer and enjoy your beer. And so the way you do that is, um, you draw recipe cards and you have this big kind of brewing kettle and it's part puzzler where you can move your little pieces, like little hops and malts in your kettle around, and they can only move in certain ways. And when you get them in kind of a valve, you can, you know, bottle that beer make it into a beer and then try to attract a customer who will buy it um, and get allegiance from customers. And whoever has the most points off of satisfied customers wins the game. And you can be really, what I like about this is it's, that's a very straightforward mechanic. I'm trying to brew the best beer, move my little, um, you know, my kettle pieces around in a puzzle to brew really good beer, but you can also just try to stop your opponents. You can see what your opponents are trying to do. So that you might see somebody over there really likes an IPA and they're about to bottle a really good IPA. Well, you could, pay a little extra money to buy the customer who loves them and serve them a really crappy beer. And you might not get a lot of points Ooh. for it, but you've bought off that customer who won't go over and buy their really good IPA and score a bunch of points. So there's a little too of, you could be a really good like puzzle brewmaster who brews a good beer, or you could be just the devious salesman who like strategically buys the right customers to come in 
and drink your beer. So it's it's kind of a little bit of like ruthlessness, puzzler, um, and strategy all mixed into one. So it's it's really cool design and it fits inside a tin. There's like this giant kettle that folds out and all these little um, like I said, pieces that you fill in your kettle to make your beer. So it's it's a really cool take because you don't see a ton of puzzlers and you don't see a ton of puzzlers that also get melded into kind of a strategy game too. So uh, Micro Brew is a two-player game uh, that came out, I think, a year ago. It's a pretty good one. I like the uh, sort of two roles you can kind of play. You, you kind of described one that of a, a passionate Micro Brew, you know, like <laughs> Brewmaster who is artfully like coming up with this great recipe and then you could also be the the player that's more just i'm gonna put a ton of money into advertising and pr and it's an okay beer but like we're gonna get lots of people to drink it because like it's known coast to coast for versus yes. that beautiful craft beer that like we only made a hundred of these bottles but they're amazing <laughs> yeah it's true you you really can like try to be the big business like here's my crummy domestic beer, you know, or like you said, you can be the, you know, the brewsmith who does pull off that great beer, but you land your big fish who's going to pay for this big beer and be really satisfied and give you tons more points towards victory. Right. And this is what I guess I like kind of what you were saying back on, on Watergate games allow us to somewhat play that role and feel it for a little bit. Like, let's see what it's like, you know, like I just, I'm really <laughs> going to try to do the puzzler, be the brewmaster this time. And then obviously there's all sorts of shades of gray of in between, right? Like, okay, I'm going to make a, a, a good beer, not a great beer, and, and hope that that lands well, right? Uh, but, but you get to try on all these different hats, right? Like I'm, I'm going to just, or I'm going to monkey with you. Like, I'm going to be, John's going to make his little puzzle there, and I'm just going to buy up every IPA, like, customer there is and, and, and serve them, you know, a stout. And, and they're going to walk away frowny face, but they bought my beer. <laughs> right, right. The customer will be disappointed, but I will have the peace of mind that I prevented you from making somebody happy. Which, just... which is like that's a thing, and that's a that's <laughs> that's out there. That's a strategy. Uh, and again, probably the truth be told, the I've never played it. You're right, but the 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 balanced approach is probably the best approach, right? Like getting some good cash for your beer while stopping me from getting the big, you know, eleven point sale because you picked up a guy and sold him for two points, but you denied me 11. Yes. Yeah. You're definitely, you're, you're doing a little calculus in your head of how do I maximize sale of, of good beer to my customers I've attracted while, you know, scaring off their big fish. Yep. Definitely. That's awesome. Excited yeah. to try out microbrew. I think I'm going to, after this, I'm going to order it. I think <laughs> you're costing me money. See, so these podcasts, everybody just realized they cost me money too. <laughs> Michael, Michael, uh, Michael is is wallowing in debt over all of the game ideas. Uh, that That's are, so true. They're coming out of this podcast. <laughs> uh, all right, one other one that I really like is one called Unmatched. Unmatched. The the style of game is different than what we've talked about so far. This is like think dudes on a map, man. This is like <laughs> I need my dude to beat your dude on a map. And they have boiled it down to just the fun elements, to not overthinking it. You end up having your hero, if you will, and then a sidekick. And then I have a hero and a sidekick. And then we have this map that has a bunch of little circles 
the circles are colored circles so you kind of know area of the board so it's really simple to kind of like you're not dealing with line of sight and all this other stuff like if you were in the same shaded colored region i i a ranged weapon can hit you right okay uh so like not super nerdy about like well they were behind this or behind that like <laughs> nope like if you're in the same colored square if my guy's touching a blue square and your guy's touching a blue square we're set <laughs> and it is just trying to be the last man standing you have to uh it's like sort of chess like but i feel bad saying that because i know a lot of people are like that's boring this has a whole <laughs> heck of a lot of theme you really do feel part of the the characters so for example um uh last time i played i played alice from alice in wonderland and that character can become big or small and there's like ah. a, a benefit when you're big and there's like a benefit when you're small but not the same benefit and sometimes you okay. wish like ah, i wish i was big at this moment because like this would be an awesome thing to use right now um there's Robin Hood, and there's Bigfoot as a character. Bruce Lee's a character. <laughs> uh, but each deck sort of plays with some of the stereotype of those characters. Okay. And super fun to sort of figure out, super fun to load up. The game takes 20 minutes to play. So it's one of those you can you could play it a couple times. You know, if like you and your child, you and your partner want to. I mean, like that could be a perfectly like fun evening to play two games of it, you know, 40 minutes easy peasy and I don't know just a whole lot of fun uh, trying to figure out what's the best way to go about it and produces those I mean you can picture it in a game like this it produces those epic moments where like I thought I was going to lose but like yeah. <gasps> I just figured out this way I could play this to play that and as long as John doesn't figure out this one thing <laughs> I can do to stop it like boom boom like I went from being on the ropes to the knockout punch it's a good one yeah, I, I think one one aspect that you pointed out that hasn't been reflected too much in the games we brought up thus far is the act of being able to select a character or draw a character, and that changes some of the core approach you take to the game. That I think really helps with replayability. Like there can be the, you know, games that just set up a really good back and forth, but that power that you get, and you almost have to really cater to your power and think about how that changes how you play the game. I think is a cool way to add. Um, you know, add a new factor, you know, to how you approach it. So I, I really enjoy games that do that. Some of them don't balance it great, but when you've got a game that balances all those powers together, uh, it's really cool. So far, I feel like all the characters have an equal shot, close, relatively close yep. shot of winning. And then like you said, with that asymmetrical power structure, it's really cool just to try that same character against somebody else. What's Alice in Wonderland like against Bigfoot? all like ooh got their butt kicked but like ooh Alice in Wonderland against Bruce Lee like maybe I fared all right yeah yeah absolutely and absolutely then there, there's also like when you talk about the value of the game like the actual dollar and cents value what I like about something like that you could have a super good time saying that the next 10 games you're going to play Bruce Lee and just you're going to I'm going to learn how to do this super well and that could be super awesome because, like, in comparison to the game Watergate, you only have two rolls. Like, that's it. So, like, a lot of games just have that. But here you actually have multiple rolls and you could – the base game comes with four rolls and then you can buy two, two like, two more packs, two more packs. Right. Oh, okay. Uh, and they keep coming out with them. 
they kind of went with a smart they tried to go with everything that doesn't have like copyright sort of to it except bruce lee <laughs> i guess the guy had like a a man crush on bruce lee so he wanted he wanted that's literally what he said he's like bruce lee is like such a famous person in his life that he's like I'm, i wanted to try to secure the rights to that but the rest are all like open source stories like like i said like robin hood for example yep alice in wonderland so you're not going to see like marvel characters which would be awesome but like that what they're what i like about the company is they're caring more about the game mechanics than they are like we're not going to waste money on securing the rights to marvel and then give you a crappy game right right yeah and and i actually kind of like that it's just random like it's kind of funny like bruce lee versus alice in wonderland is just like (laughs) absurd enough to be awesome right so i kind of dig that yeah that's right (laughs) That's right. All right. So that is unmatched. Definitely go pick it up. It's a good one. Man, I I, I have this moment now, Michael. I'm I'm wondering whether I should go off script or not because I've got a game that's similar to that. I think we were talking about Five Minute Dungeon, but I also was thinking what you described sounds like Santorini, and both are good two player games. So I don't know what I should do here. It's, it's tough. I see what you did. Yeah. You you've now mentioned both. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. So now just buy both. But yeah, um, I'll just get a. Maybe I'll do a mini plug, and you let me know how we're doing on time. But um, kind of like what you described in Unmatched. I haven't played Unmatched. I'm probably gonna buy it. Thank you very much, Michael. Well, uh, now that you described it. <laughs> but uh, Santorini reminds me of it. It's very much. Uh, it, it's similar in vain in that um, it the it's themed around kind of the Greek gods, and you've got kind of this board, and your goal is to get you have two kind of characters you control, and you, your opponent is on the same board. You're trying to build up and get one of your characters up onto the third level of a structure on the board. So you can either on your turn build or move. So each of your characters can build or move, or you could both move or both build. Um, and so you are kind of alternating turns with your opponents and using your two characters. And you're just trying to get one of your guys up there. So one could build the third and final piece. The other could move up to win. But your opponent can do things like cap uh, a third level, you know, so nobody can win on it. Uh, And then you also have powers. So you have Greek god powers where you could maybe switch places with one of your opponent's characters or one of your characters can move two spaces or things like that. Uh, So your powers change how you approach it. But you're also kind of doing this move counter move where do I need to cap them off? Do I need to rearrange myself? Can my power allow me to kind of get the one up? And just like you described, Michael, you might be thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm in touch, such a bad spot. But then you think of a creative way to use your power to get the upper hand um, or you thought you That's had a so master. Fun when that happens. Yes. You, 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 you thought you had a master stroke and then your opponent, you know, manipulates things just perfectly to get around it. Uh, so it's cool. Basically. I think of it like kind of chess checkers, but like building upwards rather than kind of moving around, uh, so to speak. Ooh, I like but that. yeah, Santorini. Yeah, simple and really uh, great. If you've got uh, little ones, uh, you can play it with. It's really easy to teach young kids uh, to play Santorini. And looks nice, right? It's very pretty. Yes, yes, absolutely. Which I, so. I know sounds silly, but that's a that's a great way to also immerse people into a game. <laughs> I mean, truly, right? Like. Yeah. If you're trying to build it out as an experience to a non-gamer, whether that's a kid or a partner, mm. you know, having some good pieces can kind of suck you in. Absolutely. Very pretty game. Uh, all right. And then your other one you sort of mentioned. Yes. And I know you're familiar with this one, Michael. And this, I mean, you can play it with uh, up to 
five and maybe even six with the expansion now. Uh, but uh, th- this one's called Five Minute Dungeon, very popular game. I think it started as a Kickstarter and now is available pretty much everywhere you look. Uh, but it also works as a two-player game. Uh, and so the premise behind Five Minute Dungeon is you are you and your character and your teammates. So it's a it's an us versus the game style of a game. Uh, you and your teammates, the other people playing, are trying to defeat uh, the monsters and the boss in a dungeon. And those are made up of cards. So the card a card comes up and it has symbols on it, and your characters play cards to eliminate the monster, the obstacle, or the final dungeon boss using these kind of um, these symbol cards that you have. Um, you also have special abilities in your card deck um, of your character. Your character has a power-up that you can spend cards to use, uh, and you just have a lot of different um, kind of variability. But the catch is, as it's named, you have five minutes to beat all these dungeon monsters and obstacles. Five minutes-ish. Ish, yes, that's a great point from Michael because you can do things like certain characters have power to stop time, or cards can stop time. You could talk and kind of game plan. And it is still incredibly quick. Yes, so I would suggest when we don't we don't need to talk about what we're currently going through as a nation <laughs> or as a world, but when all of it's done, I would totally suggest picking this up. This is a great one to play. Like if you have some students at recess. Yeah, like, cause it truly is close to that five minute mark, <laughs> and uh, it's such a fun, frantic, uh, da, 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 you know, are we doing? It? And just like we said about some of these other games, like if we harken back to uh, Seven Wonders Duel, when you fail, you tend to be like right there at the edge of victory. Yes, and, and with it only being a five minute ish game you are very much like, let's load it up again. I get this. Yep. We got this. And then what you do is you succeed, but then this game, just like a video game, has these like dungeon levels where really the game is the exact same level one to level two to level three. They just make it harder. There's just more rooms yep. to get through. The bosses, that many more cards that have to be played against them. And so it takes what you already love about the game and just gives you more of it. Mm-hmm. And so, like, these extra levels aren't, like, extra difficulty in terms of, like, rule sets. This isn't, hey, seven-year-old, i got to teach you all sorts of new things. No, no. <laughs> it's the same thing we played as a family, you right. know, last level. It's just we got to even be better this time. Yeah. And I think one one critique I hear about the – or at least I've read about it. Uh, face-to-face, I don't hear this. But you, you go, you go, go, go. You play. You play tons of cards. You have a deck. I think each person has about a deck of 40-ish cards that you play with your power-ups in it. And so at the end of the round, whether you defeated it or you ran out of time, there's tons of cards everywhere. So it takes a bit to, like, get your decks back in order and reset the dungeon cards. But what I found is during that time, you're all shuffling, getting your cards back out we're usually talking as well about what worked and what didn't. So we're having a really good conversation about, Hey, okay, we didn't make that time. What went wrong? And maybe it was, we, you know, threw away too many cards, you know, that we didn't think we needed than we needed. Right. Uh, or maybe we're like, well, we didn't use our power enough, which could have given us time to stop and think about what we should do next, you know, and talk before we jump back in. So the big critique of the game is you go, go, go for five minutes. And then there's like a five minute cleanup to get it set up. But, I don't know. That five minutes seems to go so fast because we're always talking about what can we do better. And so I 100% agree that that it does take a little bit of time, but it is pretty simple. Each of the decks are color coded. So you really Mm -hmm. just flip everything over and it's like, here's some green cards, here's some yellow cards, here's some blue cards. Uh, 
but and but as John said, those five minutes just fly by because you are talking, you are processing it, or you're joking. Remember when this happened, <laughs> or you know. Uh, so that's totally it. All right, I do have to say we 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 have to sort of end here because we got to get to our reflection time quote. Uh, but I do want to sort of put on to the well played community. We are always trying to like bring you what you want so if you end up wanting some more game like if you liked this game discussion between john and i we're we're gonna do another one next week where it's gonna be tied more to the classroom but if you would like some more kind of expanded game closet suggestions from two you know educators who are also gamers by heart uh put it in the comments again season four episode 21 we would we would love to hear it and if you guys call for it. We will. We will give it. Uh, we should. We usually set a goal here. Should it be five? If we get five comments. Yeah, I like that. Five comments, not from the same person. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair. All right. I'll, I'll come up with different usernames for each comment. <laughs> nice. All right. So today's uh, reflection time quote here we have comes from Ra- Ralph Cheryl. Uh, I've never heard it, but I do dig it. It is, avoid the crowd, do your own thinking independently, be the chess player, not the chess piece. I figured we were talking about two-player games. so I like it. I like it. So with that, I guess I can start on that. Um, Go for it. So... I just really like this idea of pushing people to think about their own abilities. And what I love about games is it gives us a space to try different things. But it, while it's a risk-rich environment because there's all these strategies, all these options every turn, uh, in the end, like you can load it up and play it again. So it's risk-rich with, with the ability to learn from failure. And when you start to like practice these things, these practice this thinking in a game, it can translate to sort of confidence in life as well. I like it. I like it. What what stood out to me in the quote is the player versus the piece. And I when I think about pieces, I know they have very finite limited options, but you often as the game player, at least if it's a good game, you usually have a lot of options. And if the game's really well designed, you almost have limit limitless options to kind of decide how you want to play. And so one thing I took away from this quote is um, think about that when you're either, you know, playing a game or doing anything in life is, is you know, don't be afraid to kind of take your own approach to things and make it your own. Uh, you know, um, that's one of the best approaches I've seen in a game is trying something nobody else has tried. The other gamers, you know, have to adapt to your strategy and in life if you kind of you know, forge your own route. Um, it often leads to good things. So I, I think that's one thing that I took away is definitely – as the game player, the chess master, you know, think about how you can like make it. experience your own. I like it. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on and agreeing to come on next week. And we'll see. We'll see if we get up to five in the comments <laughs> for some future other game uh, show as well. And everyone else, thank you so much for joining us uh, as part of the well played community. You can hopefully check out some of the other things on the XP lab community that happens Tuesdays at nine central standard time on Twitter, as well as my YouTube channel. Check out some of that work. Uh, John also has a wonderful blog. Uh, John, if you want to give it a little shout out. Yeah. So uh, you can check out my website, gamestormedu.com where I 
have a bunch of ideas for how to make your own games. Digital, physical, cardboard, whatever it might be. It's awesome, so definitely check that out. And I look forward to having John on again. All right, everybody, you take care and play on.